Welcome to Prayer in Private Parts, a podcast about sex and Jesus. I'm one of your hosts, Jill Thompson. I'm a registered psychologist and sexual health educator from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And my name is Nick Coates. I'm a minister here in Calgary. This podcast is open, honest, raw conversations, most likely conversations you have not heard in church. But we think you probably should. Each episode, we tackle a topic about spirituality and sexuality, and we see where it goes. So let's get started. All right, welcome back to another episode of Prayer and Private Parts, a podcast about sex and Jesus. In this one, we're talking about purity culture. The best. Well, (laughs) most excited that I think we've been to talk about something, but also most nervous. Yeah, such a pervasive thing that touches on, we're just saying like it touches on all the other issues and topics that we want to talk about in future episodes. Mm -hmm. So trying to stay focused, not go too much off. This will be a tangent for your podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> <We'll see laughs> Not knowing us. But purity. And I think we were, our first goal is to define what we mean when we're talking about purity culture, but also understanding that this is one definition and it's not the definition. And so I think we'll have different ways of talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so the, I think what I want to just emphasize in that, we're not talking about purity. Mm-hmm. We're talking about purity culture, which is a whole way of, thinking around sex and sexuality in our bodies and how that needs to work in our relationships. And a really helpful definition, if to throw it out on the table, that I found on um, a blog um, is this. And so purity culture defined is this. The view of any discussion of things of a sexual nature outside of the context of a heterosexual marriage as taboo. So anything outside of marriage, any sex outside of marriage is wrong. Purity culture is the adherence to a strict heteronormative lifestyle that forbids most physical physical contact with significant others, as well as engaging in self-pleasure, holding lustful thoughts about another person that is not a spouse. And purity culture includes an insistence on female modesty and the responsibility to shield men and boys from sexual temptation. Yes. And even when you say that, I'm like, let's talk about all of that, but... (laughs) baby steps we'll do baby steps on all of this um I wanted to add something about purity and you and I having two very different experiences so I'm excited about this because you are a cis hetero man I am and I am a cis queer femme woman and so we're gonna have such different experiences so understanding that even though this is one way of talking about purity culture that there's like way, way, way more context to this too. But, and so this is just our context. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. to. Hear yeah. We need to own that. This is, these are our personal stories and yeah. perspectives. Yeah. And I'm also excited to hear like cis male view. Yeah. Yeah. I can provide this. So let, let's jump into it. Cause I think when talking about purity culture, one of the things that can help you, the listeners um, is some personal stories. So you can, you can be like, Oh, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it can put some some flesh on these these concepts. And so, what, Joe? What would be your experience and understanding of of purity culture throughout your life, or or maybe that you've heard? Yeah, and I'll say that one of the things that encourages me to be vulnerable at this point, because some of these stories that we share, 
like I know we we sort of plan what we're going to share and we talk about that, but then also we sometimes accidentally overshare, um, which is happens with an invisible audience. Um, but I think for me, when I listen to other people's podcasts and other people sharing their vulnerability, I know that that's what connects me to those. And so I'm hoping that the story can help. But so my first experience or understanding of purity culture was from my Catholic school education. So I went to Catholic school for like a hot second, just a few years, but just enough time that I got to be in the class where we started sex ed, but it wasn't sex ed. It was abstinence only education. And so we, I don't even know what the video is about. I don't even, I don't know what we talked about, but I know that there was a pen at the end that said abstinence exclamation mark. That's my choice exclamation mark. And I really wanted that pen because like having that pen meant I like belong to this part of this group with my classmates because we all got this super cool pen. Yeah. Abstinence only. That's my choice. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I can only imagine what my lovely feminist atheist parents thought of that pen when I came home. And then the other story that I think about that is more, so I didn't grow up in the church and when I became part of the church as a teenager, um, it wasn't as outspoken as that. So the churches that I were part of, it wasn't really in your face, absence only pens. It was just a lot of subtle language and you knew you weren't supposed to do certain things, but you never talked about why mm. or how, or you just knew. Um, and so one of the other stories that I think about is being 16 and my youth pastor, who I really admired and adored, uh, he had just gotten married I think he had just got married. Anyway, he came back from his honeymoon, was showing pictures, and he said to me, you know, Jill, the greatest gift that you can give your husband is your virginity. And I just remember being gutted because I had already had sexual experiences, both wanted and unwanted at that point, and just being like, oh, crap, I cannot tell you any of this now. And I mean, him and I are still friends, and he can say, like, whoops, I, that wasn't very helpful, but it stands out to me and it's something that comes up in my narrative a lot, uh, especially around sex and mm -hmm. sexuality. What about you? Yeah, definitely similar experiences and definitely hearing similar stories. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was kind of coming into conservative evangelicalism where this, this culture is, is definitely much more apparent, but I think it's still as apparent in progressive circles. It's just in different mm -hmm. ways. Uh, but there it was a lot of the jargon that would float around of modest as hottest, it takes, favorite. you I like that love one? This is how it is. It is so good. Yeah. Uh, it takes three to tango. Yeah. Um, or make room for the Holy Spirit. Um, and yeah, definitely wanting to gift your virginity. Mm -hmm. um, bouncing the eyes. like So making sure you don't kind of look at anything oh, tempting. So it, like there was books about it. Like, so like literally bounce the eyes away. Oh. And so is this, I remember like in my circle of friends, like I was talking about like bounce the eyes, man. Uh, whenever like a really attractive woman will walk by, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, don't. dropping because I've never heard this. I'm yeah, like, oh, I think it was crazy. one of like the every man's battle kind of books mm -hmm. that we got. Yeah. So definitely, there are accountability partners, mm -hmm. um, and anytime that you feel tempted, anytime that you go to look at porn, or anytime that you feel aroused, um, they would teach us to call our friends. These accountability partners would be like, "Hey, I'm struggling with this," and then that would be our way to to theoretically move out of it yeah um but also a lot of stories of in youth group i remember when oh a girl would come in in a short skirt or something 
And we, we would, we could, we could go and complain to the pastor be like, man, she's really tempting me. And then she would be asked to leave and go put on clothes because we're all these hypersexual boys that can't control ourselves. Mm -hmm. And she, it's her responsibility to not make a brother stumble. Mm -hmm. And so she would have to go and cover up, even though she's just wearing summer shorts. Yes. I, but the, 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 the subtle thing was that's tempting and we're supposed to remain pure. And when it comes to thoughts about sex, um, it's bad. And so porn is bad. Sex is bad. Masturbation is bad. Um, and even my, my recollection is a sin would be attached to it. Mm -hmm. Like those things are sinful because you're not married. Uh, you can't like they're bad. And something happens in marriage where it suddenly becomes good. Yes. And we never talked about it. We never really said why. That was just a very tangible yet implicit kind of experience of youth groups and, and, and the circle of friends that I, I ran in. Yeah, very much the same, not the same because I'm female. And so I actually cringed when you were saying some of those things and had many a flashback of being asked to change clothes or having friends, even in Bible college that happened to a friend of mine, we were sitting in the common area and a, a guy threw his sweater on her and was like, cover up, you're tempting me. And I just, I can't, I couldn't even believe that that was how in university we were, were talking to each other uh, mm -hmm. because that felt like a very much like a junior high youth group thing. But again, like we don't, I don't know why. So my experience is very much the, feeling like dirty and like, don't be too like seen, but you want to be seen, but not too seen and like be sexy, like be feminine, but not sexual. Mm -hmm. And same thing of like, be careful what you're doing because you are a temptress or, um, what is that? Jezebel. Word? There's the word. I was like, who is that? That's a word. Don't be a Jezebel. I didn't even understand that. Like, you know, I go, I went to youth group for a place of belonging and a place of like understanding things that are going on in my life. And this weird undertone of sex and sexuality was, I never really understood. No, and it was always under the surface. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for a cis guy, it was, a lot of it was about women and kind of, they, they're, the, they're the tempters and we need to avoid that. But a lot of it too was these urges and natural feelings we're having as we enter into puberty and adolescence and we're curious about all this stuff. It was just a hard no because those things are sinful. No things are bad. Therefore, avoid them at all costs. Yes. And it was incredibly confusing because you'd have these natural feelings and you'd be aroused by stuff and you'd, you're seeing this happen to your body. And at the same time, it's like, but that's bad. Like, so am I bad then if that's happening to me mm. and I must be sinful and broken and God must be mad at me because I'm having all these thoughts and temptations and urges and I don't know what to do with them, but there was never that space created to actually talk about it because it was sinful and bad. Therefore we don't go there. Yeah. It's off limits. And like, you can hear so much of that shame and what you're saying. And I can really, really relate to that and just feeling shame and, um, feeling like I had to hide parts of myself. So hide, like it, it was this weird thing that like, I wasn't allowed to be sexual with boys, but like I could be intimate with girls, like my besties, my girlfriends that wasn't considered like wrong, but like I knew being gay was wrong, but that like didn't count. I don't know if that's super confusing, but for me, just like feeling 
so much like compartmentalizing. Like I have, I can't talk about this at church. I can't, Mm -hmm. and I don't even know if that's helpful. And I I know that's not helpful um, for me. And I wish that, yeah, we had more, I wish I had talked more about sex in youth group and relationships and friendships. And yeah, it was just, yeah, the purity culture is so much a part of it and the spoken, unspoken rule. And that's, and maybe that, let's go with that because that's part of what we want to talk about today is like what's problematic, mm-hmm. toxic, dangerous, whatever words we want to throw at it about purity culture. And I think we're already hitting on some of them now where it's yeah. part of my confusion was things like erections and orgasms and bodies are sinful yet theologically, like how, how does that work? Yeah. So like, is that bad? What happens at marriage where that suddenly changes? Um, if I'm supposed to wait for marriage for sex, does that assume that I'm going to get married mm-hmm. um, and therefore my sex life will be great? Mm-hmm. What if I don't meet anyone? Does that mean that God doesn't have a plan for me? And what does that do to our understandings of how God works? And so the whole thing can be opens up a lot of issues, which is why we want to talk about it. Yeah. And which is why I'm like, let's go on all those tangents. Yes, let's do it. Stay focused. <laughs> uh, but what would be psychologically? Yeah. What would be, what are some of the, the risks inherent in this understanding of purity culture that we defined? So I know, I, for me, I tell people that purity culture contributes to rape culture. And that's a pretty, pretty blunt thing to say. And I know that will like grate against people when they listen to this maybe, or maybe that might be a relief for some people like, yeah. But for me, the biggest issue that I see um, is this under this understanding that of good and bad, clean versus dirty. And like, if you have any sexual experiences, even though we don't define what sex is, I know I've talked about that in other episodes, defining that sex is not just penis, vagina, penetration, like sex is so much more than that. But if we, we only define this as like everything is good during marriage and everything outside of that is bad and dirty, then we don't talk about things. And so the consequences of that are that when people don't know how to have consensual sex, uh, when people are experiencing sexual violence in their lives, they don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. because they're considered dirty or unclean because all they're worth. So for me, speaking as, as a woman, like all my worth is put into my physicality, like my physical appearance, how I'm tempting you or not tempting you as a man and whether or not I'm a virgin. And so it's, it's really nothing else. It's not like that is my worth as a Christian woman. That is how it's outlined. So I think that's huge consequences for women about worth, uh, consent, sexual violence, if people have experienced it. And then just the huge implications on relationships too. So people I know there's a lot of messages to like, don't use birth control or don't have condoms because that means you're wanting to have sex and you can't be prepared to oh, have yeah. sex, right? Totally forgot about that. Yeah. And so in that though, the, the risks for that are unplanned pregnancies and then people, depending on where people live, maybe there's not access to abortions if that, and then that's a whole other a podcast um, talking about that. And then STI, sexually transmitted and bloodborne infections. Yeah, and just terrible sex too. Like we don't talk about mm-hmm. pleasure. I mean, 
I have brought alongside with me a lot of books that are still read in Christian community. And so much of it is like how to pleasure a man and the duty for women to pleasure men. And for, so those are some of the issues, just like lack of pleasure mm-hmm. as well. And yeah. was that enough? Did that <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting because like from a theological perspective, it's a lot of those would be similar mm-hmm. where like thoughts of, uh, self-worth attached to how we understand our value and our worth. The purity culture for me, it gets problematic where your, your self-worth is in society's standards of beauty. Right. And so if, if you're overweight, if you don't conform to the Vogue covers or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. arguably that culture teaches that you are less than, and God has gifted other people with beauty, but you not so much. Mm-hmm. And our worth and our value and our inherent dignity comes from things that aren't the image of God within us. Mm-hmm. And then we treat each other differently and we have different standards of for relationships. Yes. Um, and that's, that's inherently problematic in terms of how we order and view each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pleasure becomes something that is dangerous and sinful and bad instead of a gift. Yeah. And how do we, how do we do a better job talking about that and understanding what that is? Um, even, even just how we read the Bible. Yeah. Like it, a lot of purity culture is rooted in, you know, what the Bible clearly says, but when you go and look at it, it's, it's really not clear. Mm-hmm. And it, it really makes this black and white issue where I, I want to come in biblically and theologically and say, it's a lot more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. And we need to have like really honest and open discussions about what does the Bible say and why does it say that? Yeah. And what do we do with that? And then what would Jesus say? I mean, he doesn't say a whole lot. And so we need to do like a lot of theological and spiritual work to really understand what is good Christian sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And how do we not swing all the way over to just dismiss it and be like, oh, anything goes. But at the same time, how do we not go all the way over to, you know, the right and be so rigid and toxic and dangerous? Yes. It has felt really black and white in my experiences. Of Like I said, it's this almost like a binary, like good, bad, dirty, clean, mm-hmm. black and white. Like you either are married and you have sex or you're not and you don't. And there's nothing in between. That was the messaging that I heard. And even that, like how... For me, I view that as really unhelpful and slightly dangerous when we say, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. People get, quote unquote, married. And then we say, oh, how's the sex? And people are bringing, they don't, they don't even know how to have conversations mm-hmm. about it. They don't even know how to have conversations about the trauma that they may have, even if it's trauma from the church into the bedroom. Oh, man, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really, like it's, it really dishonors then what can be sex is this beautiful, amazing experience. And it really, to me, it really like grace is such a huge thing that gets thrown out here where Mm -hmm. I remember, and you would know about this, like the, those teaching videos where that use gum as the example. Oh my gosh. I'm excited that we get to talk about gum and duct tape. And yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because the one I remember was using gum as an example and correct me if I got this wrong, please. No, But I'm pretty sure the memory has been burned into me where gum was used as this is the, this is a woman. Um, and when you give away your virginity, 
you become like a chewed up piece of gum and you can yes. never go back to your natural state. You lose your flavor. You lose your purpose. No one wants you. Who wants a chewed up piece of gum? Who does? Saliva covered. It's gross. Someone else's germs are on it. Why would you want to give this to somebody mm -hmm. else? Yes. And for me, if let's, let's throw, but let's throw in that premarital sex. Let's just for the sake of this mm -hmm. is sinful. So you sin. Right. Uh, but if grace is anything like, why isn't grace enough to cover that one? And in purity culture, it's like, no, you're now permanently sinful and broken and damaged. And grace just gets kind of thrown out the window or any other sin. It's like, yeah, you're forgiven. All is good. Let's go from there. Yeah, except sexual sins. Except sexual sins. And it's this weird category that we need to talk more about of like, what does grace look like for that? Mm -hmm. And how does grace and God's love restore how we understand ourselves, how we understand and relate to each other? Yes. Because if you take up grace, like, well, like that's, that's everything. And that, like, that's fundamentally what Jesus is about, is God's grace and God's love and how that works in our lives and relationships. And purity culture just says it doesn't seem to apply with sex. It's so interesting because even as you say that, I'm like, yes, I understand that. But I feel the, like, bubbling shame underneath of me that if I need grace, therefore I did something wrong, right? It goes back to, the, like, yeah. the wrongness of me. And so I always ask, like, why have we moved so much on conversations about sin you know, with food or clothing choices, all that. I mean, that's all, anyway. But we've moved on those things in the Christian community and even like women in ministry or women speaking or even just parenting and divorce. We move on so many things, mm -hmm. but not sexual, quote unquote, sexual sins, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's just like, if you engage in that, you are wrong and there's something wrong with you. And I really push yeah. against that. Like, that's the part that, really pushed me away from the church for a long time. Like I I've my history with the church is going back and forth, back and forth. And a lot of it is because of sex and sexuality and those messages and just feeling like, because I had had sex or I had mm -hmm. sexual desires, I was wrong and there's something wrong with me and nobody would want me. Yep. Nobody would want to marry me. Nobody would want to have me in a leadership position. I'm just not welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And ditto. And that's, yeah, that's why I'm so happy we can, we can have this episode because it's, it can offer, what is that alternative mm -hmm. to purity culture that, that still keeps it special, but maybe deconstructs it enough to do away with some of the toxic and dangerous yeah. ideas while not kind of just pushing it over the cliff and being like, well, you know, anything goes. Yeah. And I think we talked about this in a couple of that both first and second episode of saying, I, I want people to have really informed choices because I've had so many experiences with friends um, where they don't, they kind of talk to me in a, like a corner of a church or a school or university where they're like, Oh, I've had this thing happen. And it's like the shameful. And I want it to be really open. And anyway, I was going somewhere and totally forgot where I was going, but Basically, I don't want it to be shameful and secret in the corners. I want us to talk about it and have like informed choices and have conversations. So like how great would it be if two people entering into any sort of sexual thing in nature? Also, can we just sidetrack? I feel like youth group is like a setup for 
teenage sexuality. Like we're gonna get isn't you that why, Isn't that why we went to youth group? Right? Like we're gonna get you hopped up on sugar and like keep you up all night. There's like one, maybe like three youth leaders to 40, 50, 100 youth. Oh. And we're just like running wild, making out in the corners. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone is not in their heads. Yeah. Uh, so for a summer, oh, like 10, eight, nine years ago, mm-hmm. I was the site coordinator from like a, for a youth, an international youth missions organization. Yeah. Where youth from around North America would travel to the city. They stay there for a week and they would stay in the school with 80, 100 other youth and they'd go and work in the city doing amazing nonprofit work. Cool. <laughs> oh my God. Like the, we had to have, there was this long hallway in the school and we had to have guards set up between the boys area and the girls area. What kind of guards? Like bells that would like. We, we had, we had people in chairs. Like, so the, oh. the, it was such an important thing in this, the foot people who are coming. And I definitely bought into it too at that point. Um, we would have like youth leaders, like in shifts, mm-hmm. like all night block in the hallway. And we'd have oh, youth right. trying to sneak away and, and maybe to hook up. We don't How really old know. Are they? Oh, they're all like junior high, high school. Oh. Uh, and th- this was awesome because the youth somehow found this like basement tunnel oh. <laughs> that connected that went underneath where the youth leaders were sitting. Yeah. Um, and we'd find them like making out or talking. Um, Cause it was just, yeah. it's this huge, just raging hormones. Right. They don't know what to do with them. I know. And they're connecting uh, and they're, and they're connecting and it's, um, and it's in one way really beautiful, but they yeah. don't have the, the education, the awareness, the capacity mm-hmm. to like, how do we, how do we talk about this in a really constructive, healthy way where we recognize sex as good and beautiful and God given and spiritual without all the baggage and, and literal barriers and, and, liter- <laughs> and barriers where it was just to make them want to do it more. Yes. And that was so much what I saw. And I, I think about, so I was a youth pastor for five years. And when you're telling that story, I was thinking about, we were on this 24 hour train ride and you know, it's one of our first youth trips. And I'm sure my youthlings will remember this, but I kept saying hands above the sleeping bags, but it was more just like, and I hope I'm like, Oh, I hope they didn't take that as like, don't do this. But it was more just like, y'all know that we can all see you and sex needs to be consensual and make sure that we're having things in like private spaces. But yeah, I just remember like, Oh my gosh, everybody's in like a mass pile under sleeping bags and there's hands moving and just be like, what do I do? How do I not like F this up? for these kiddos. And I know many of them had their like first kisses or their first crushes on youth trips. And like, I, I know that I talked about sex and sexuality. I don't know if I did it enough and I don't know if my own baggage impacted that. And I, and it kind of hurts my soul because I, I just think it'd be so great if at my summer camps or my youth groups, it was, Hey, you're going to have these feelings here's what's happening in your body. Here's what's healthy and normal. Here's what consent is. And then I wouldn't have all these weird thoughts and just feeling so unworthy. And so this baggage that I still carry around that I don't even know how I ended up with it sometimes. It, it, it's, it'd be so cool to to create what, what would be a really healthy and constructive generative youth group sex ed course. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's your dream is to go to church and talk about sex. If anybody wants to hire me, I can come talk about sex in your church. But it's just so off limits. I mean, I 
I've spoken at your church and I, there are churches that have me in and it, I just, and people know that I'm like, I talk about sex and Jesus and I've been doing this for a really long time. I've been talking about sex and Jesus mm-hmm. for like a decade. And I still have people that only now a decade later will come back and be like, Oh, that thing you said 10 years ago in our university class, I really felt uncomfortable with that. But I'm, when I came up against that in my life, it, it was helpful. And so whether or not our youth are engaging in sexual behaviors, I think it's so useful to have those conversations in youth group rather than this like purity culture of like, no, don't do it. It's bad. It's wrong. It's dirty and shameful. And then until you're married. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, and what, what's coming to me is the, the one of the biggest issues. It's so repressive mm-hmm. that the only thing it leads to is shame and yeah. anything that leads to shame is not of God. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, Shame and love don't, they can't coexist. Yeah. Because shame is saying, you are damaged, you are broken, you are sinful. Yeah. Instead of saying, like, oh, we can do that better ways, or there's grace for you, you, yes. can, you can change it, so you are inherently bad. Mm-hmm. And can we come to talk about sex and sexuality in churches from a Christian perspective that that is healthy and talks about consent, talks about, you know, different gender orientations and sexualities that can actually give the kids the information they need and give adults the information they need to actually have informed decisions around who owns their body, how do they do it, what does sex look like, yeah, and why does it matter spiritually? Yeah, no one owns your body. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things that, that purity culture yes. offers is it, it's the women's body belongs to the man. Yes, it does. And I don't believe that, but that's what that our, Yeah, I think that was kind of, you know, in all these books that we have in front of us, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you're the way you, what did it say about? Which one? I, I think it was that one, the one that talks about the different obligations they have. Yeah. Or how they can serve Another, each other. This is a quote from a book um, for, this is talking to men or to women in this section. In other words, wife, your husband cannot date you and care for you and compliment you and serve you and make sure your needs are met only to have you deny his needs. You cannot be on the receiving end and not on the giving end. You cannot receive his love and affection and not meet your duty to him. And like this whole chapter is your duty to him is to have sex with him. If he's going to meet your emotional needs, because so much of purity culture too is that uh, a lot of gender roles in terms of gender, men are incapable of control they're inherently sexual uncontrollable beings and women are hugely emotional untrustworthy Mm -hmm. beings and so this chapter is very much like men if you like women if men are going to meet your emotional needs then you must have sex with them which is not like that is part of the purity culture as well yeah 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 and and, and that like to chip away at that it was like no like your body is yours you make that decision and let's talk about something because this is the perfect window okay uh something that we want to talk about for a few episodes um is lilith hey yes because i think what what happens here is we go to the bible stories and we Mm -hmm. see adam and eve and eve is always subservient to adam or the woman is always subservient to the man and it's their job to to do what they want right um so you gotta sexually please them because that's how it works and we can go to the bible and we can see all these stories that that people use to to argue that 
Uh, but there's a character named Lilith that, that's within the Jewish Midrash and commentaries. And I'm saying, can you tell us about Lilith? No, you tell us. I'll tell us. No, you, are, you can tell us. I'll tell it. Um, so the, the tradition tells is that when God first created uh, the universe and made all the plants and living things and God went to make humanity, the original story of the legend goes is that God made two people. Mm-hmm. God made Adam and God made Lilith, his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story goes is that Adam wanted to have sex um, and Lilith said no. Right. Uh, and so Adam got mad and Lilith said no. Uh, and she's like, no, I don't want to. And kind of put her foot down. Mm-hmm. And the story goes is that men didn't like that because that empowers women to control their sexualities and their bodies and you can have autonomy. And so Lilith got written out of the scriptures and a new scripture story got written with Eve being created after out of Adam's rib. Um, And men then argued like, Oh, see, no, you're actually subservient. Mm -hmm. And so you should do what Adam wants. And Lilith actually became known as like a really dirty word, almost like Jezebel. Yeah where she was this kind of horror and terrible person, this bitch. And then so it became this dirty pejorative kind of thing when actually she was this amazing badass of a woman who was like, no, I don't have to, if I don't want to, this is my body. I can do what I want. And we're, we're partners. We're equals. This needs to be a consensual conversation. Yes. Let's all go to Lilith's fair now. Lilith's fair. You're welcome. Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> um, it's interesting because not growing up in the church, it's so, for me, my, my relationship with God, and I, I say that lightly because I know that that becomes like a thing, like, oh, my relationship with God, it becomes, people stop listening, but really, I I felt this connection and this, like, um, this, I don't know, acceptance from whatever I believed in. I just knew that, like, no matter what, where I came from, I was accepted. And it wasn't until I was part of the church that I felt like I wasn't accepted Mm -hmm. and belonged. belonged. That's not how that works. But anyway, um, that I did not belong. And so it's when I hear those stories, I feel like it affirms my trust in my gut that my relationship with God is much more than what it was reduced down to in a lot of uh, circles and my youth groups and more, more conservative type churches. Uh, you had some story too about Mary. Because you talked a little about Mary. Do you remember telling me about that? Mary Mags or Mary Mother of Mary, Jesus? Mary Mother of Jesus. About, because we were talking about uh, the Holy Spirit coming to. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think, oh, maybe. I just totally interrupted you. No, you got it. Um, but there is, there's another midrash. Um, I guess it'd be a Christian midrash at this point. Yeah. Um, around the Christmas story. Because um, in, in our scriptures, the angel, I think it's Gabriel. So Gabe comes to Mary and is like, hey, God has this big plan for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want to, here's, here's a plan. You're going to be the mother of Jesus. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to change the world. Um, and he's actually asking for permission. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, this is going to happen to you. It has to be, it's a request. Yes. Uh, and Mary, in all her badassness, um, says Yes. Yeah. But the, the Christian midrash around that actually talks about how the angel went to many other women before this, and they all turned him down. Yeah. Because uh, God wanted this to be consensual. Yes. God wanted this person to, to say, yes, this is my body. This is my life. I'm going to choose to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And those other women said no, and God respected that. 
Yeah. And so we have a God who empowers women to make choices about how they want to use their bodies and how they want to express their sexuality and how they want to be a part of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mary was the first one to be like, I'm down, let's do this. Yeah. And she understood what that meant. And despite that, she said, yeah, let's, I'll be the mother of God. I feel such a, like, a heavy sadness in some ways when I hear those stories because I feel really like affirmed in being a woman and being a Christian woman. But I feel the sadness for our young people, for all gender identities in the church coming up against these messages because they're still here. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, a lot of the workshops I do, I do it with lots of young folks and old folks and different backgrounds. And no matter where I am, even if I'm in a secular setting, the messaging is still there and it's still even part of our society of like, so even if people don't identify as Christian that like save it before our marriage or don't have too many partners, like that is a narrative that's coming mm-hmm. from Aspen's only and purity education and purity myths. And I, yeah, I just feel this like heavy sadness. And I think about the consequences that I've seen. I can connect so many things to, uh, to purity culture. Sorry, just my sadness coming in. No, and that's, that's, I think that's, we need to own that yeah. and apologize for that. Yeah. Um, as Especially on my part, as a spiritual leader within the church, I need to recognize that. Um, and even in the progressive circles that I work in, that's, people still bring that in with them. Mm-hmm. Um, of yeah. all ages, it's the baggage that they've just received, even if they were never part of the purity culture itself, it's we've understood that, oh, this is just must be the way it is mm-hmm. that you need, like you get married. That's the way it goes. You're heterosexual. That's how it goes. Sex isn't only a marriage. That's how it goes. And it's going to be good because yeah. that's how it goes. Right. Uh, and they come in and there's this deep sadness within them because uh, that's not the reality. Yeah. There are 80 year olds waiting on a partner waiting to experience sex because that's how they were taught. Mm -hmm. There are these women who were assaulted and thinking, oh, now I'm damaged goods. And they're looking at God being like, what's the deal? I was saving myself. Yeah. And you like, what does that mean mean about God too? Right. Yes. Like, so the character of God gets thrown in a question and it really, it makes me excited to talk about this because we need, we so desperately need an alternative to purity culture that all at once deconstructs it but offers a way that approaches sex in a healthy, vibrant, robust way, but makes room for everything else. Yeah. That, yeah, and I think something that's not shameful and not fear-mongering, because a lot of the books yeah. that I have, like, I have some in front of me here, um, they say so much about, you know, they'll talk about STI quotes or divorce rates or... I don't know, sexual violence, and they'll kind of equate that mm-hmm. to not being pure, quote unquote, pure. Uh, and then, yeah, I want it to be more of a, a wholesome, non shaming approach that's not about fear. And we know that fear doesn't even work. We know that absence only education actually doesn't work. If, if people abstain from sex statistically, if they do, it's maybe puts off by two years. Yeah. Maybe. Most like most statistics for abstinence-only education is happening, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't stop people from having sex. The same age of onset of sex, which is a hilarious way to like talk about sex, like age of onset. Anyway, is the same across the board. Uh, actually, the higher 
sorry, the other statistics that come out of that are that Christian or conservative-identified religions have more unprotected anal sex, and this is a Canadian study from Toronto, have more unprotected anal sex because that doesn't count, because that doesn't count. The loopholes, of course. Mm-hmm. And I, I was going to say more stats on things. I got excited about statistics and totally went on the same That just shows why this, why this is important. Mm-hmm. Because um, we have our personal stories. You guys listening have your personal stories. You know this is an issue. We know the damage it does. Yeah. Um, and it's well past the time that churches and church leaders and, and Christians themselves start advocating for an alternative. Yes. And how do we how do we keep sex holy, mm-hmm. if we can put it that way, as, as we've talked about? Uh, but how do we... What issues do we need to talk about? And how do we live in that tension of, yes. of not just throwing it out completely? Or moving into fear-based and shame-based ideas of sex and sexuality doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Really, I think and that's I think that's our challenge exactly. as Christians. And I, I don't think we're going to give you any answers about how to do it today. But it's I think we need to begin with understanding that sex is good. Yeah, uh, and it needs to be talked about. If if to be human is to be spiritual and and, and to be sexual. We gotta talk about this stuff. We gotta talk about it as parents. We gotta talk about it as friends, as partners, yes. um, but also as congregations. And it's as as scary as it was when you came and asked, like, how many of you ever talked about sex in church, and nobody raised their hand. Right. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to start doing this and and stoking the fires and making it more acceptable mm-hmm. and less taboo. Yeah. Because this stuff matters. It, it shapes how we view ourselves. It, shapes how we view each other, how we interact, even non-sexually. Yes. Um, and it completely changes our view of who God is and how God works. Yeah. And that was another point I wanted to make is that, so not only looking at how those messages, purity messages impacted how we showed up as sexual beings, but also then how we loved or didn't love people, mm-hmm. right? And thinking about, you know, that person in youth group or in your young adult group that you knew was sexually active and how you rejected them and you didn't. Yep. accept them and you didn't even know their story right yep. and so how does it stop us from loving ourselves and loving others and so when you say sex is good i want to say you are good too yeah whoever you are whatever you've experienced like you are good and worthy of god's love and there's no matter what you've done or how you view it there's grace for you mm-hmm. um and there's a way to hold this and that's, I think that's our call. And that, and that's, again, why we're doing this podcast mm-hmm. is, is how do we, how do we come to a way where we can hold sex as something that's beautiful and good and amazing. And that needs to embrace however you come at it. Yeah. And how can we do that as, you know, fans and followers of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? Yeah. I, I know the stat I was going to throw in. Oh, please. That was like such a beautiful thing. The statistics actually say that if people are part of sports teams, they will have sex at a later age and at a consensual, uh, like more like healthy consensual sex. If you play sports? If you are a part of a dedicated sports team. Why? Not abstinence only education, not church groups, not anything to do with Christianity or religion. It's, I don't, I don't know. Do you, like, do you know what, like, what could, can you guess? I think it's probably the team mentality, having purpose, that's other like imagine if your purpose isn't just in your body and in right yeah because that's a huge thing like your i mean purity culture reduces your identity down to your body yes and And your virginity and your virginity yes 
and I'm sure sports teams, and I know that sports teams and sports and that can contribute to disordered eating, and that's a whole different conversation, and that does become about bodies, but I would imagine that there's more connection and less shame and less fear-mongering in that. I mean, I'm sure somebody can tell me, but, but I just... Cool. Like, that's, that, 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 that's really <laughs> So I guess, you know, to, to close out, Yeah. you know, if, if you are out there and you've been hurt by the church and you're confused by sexuality and the messages and narratives that you've been given, uh, keep listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause this is, this is why we're doing it. Cause we think sex is worth reclaiming. We think it's worth talking about and we want to try to move to this, this alternative narrative and messaging that is beautiful and good and works and that's healthy. Yeah. And so if you have questions or issues that you want to talk about, if there's something out there that we just have missed, um, email us. It's prayerandprivateparts at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. We'd love to hear your stories. Yeah. um, And why this is important to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe we'll share those one day and talk about the different ways that the church has fucked people up um, you, or, or like, I would love to hear positive stories too. Like how, like how has the church offered yes. you this, this way forward that, that honors you as a whole person? Yeah. Whole Christian sexual whole being. And I think if you do ask questions or share stories with us, just let us know if we're allowed to share or if you want us to post anonymously, but I would love to hear that and, and hear other people's stories. Yeah. All right, well, until next time, thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Prayer and Private Parts, a podcast about sex and Jesus. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, head to soundcloud.com slash prayerandprivateparts for more episodes. And if you have some questions, if you have some requests, email us. You can reach me and Jillian at prayerandprivateparts at gmail.com. But thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Please note that while these conversations are just conversations between us, they do not replace any serious psychological or even theological advice. And that if you find yourself triggered in one of our episodes, please know that you can find help in your area. If you don't know of any of those places that are safe for you to access in terms of a distress center or a church that's safe and affirming, we can try and help you find that and you can email us. 